Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. Again, we're podcasting a Wednesday night Bible class for all of those who cannot be with us at the building in the Omaha area at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ, and also for those who are listening in other parts of the country and literally around the world. We're thankful to have this opportunity, the means, the ability to be able to broadcast teaching God's Word all over the world through the medium of the internet by these podcasts. We're thankful. We take this this opportunity, we take this mission, this ministry seriously. And we pray that as we come together and open up God's word each Wednesday evening and each Sunday morning, we also do Sunday morning Bible class and podcast, that you are growing in your faith because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And so we do take this, this ministry, this outreach ministry, very seriously. We want to help people learn God's word better and thereby grow in their faith. We encourage you to also share these studies with everyone you can. You know people in your life, undoubtedly, who need to change their focus. They need to grow spiritually. They need to grow in their faith. So help them along these lines by sharing these studies. You can do that easily through Facebook friends, text messages, maybe other technological means. But share with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with everybody you can, literally. You may help somebody turn their life around and ultimately get to heaven simply by starting them off in these Bible studies, sharing with them. Now, what what a great blessing that will be for them, but it will also be a great blessing for you. We encourage you also to encourage others to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Scroll down the home page to our podcast button. Click on that and sign up for our podcasting. It'll only take about one minute, and it is absolutely free. It will always be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. When somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive on their smart device, smartphone, computer, laptop, pad, tablet, whatever they choose, all of our Wednesday night Bible classes, Sunday morning Bible classes, all of our sermons, really wonderful short daily study into God's Word that we call today's Bible class, seven days a week, only about 13 minutes long each day. And they'll receive our Monday through Friday radio program, Search the Scriptures. All of that will go automatically to their smart device, and it will always be free. So encourage everybody you can to take advantage of that. Sign up for our podcasting at churchofchrist.com. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we really encourage you to come and be with us, worship God with us, study his word with us, grow spiritually with us at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. And our Bible classes on Sunday morning begin at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30. And we have midweek Bible classes each Wednesday evening at 6.30. You're welcome to any and all of these services. We hope to see you soon. Now we're going to get back into our study from 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Boy, what a rich study this has been. And I'm sure it continues to be exactly that. Very rich. It is a 
book written by the Apostle Peter by inspiration from God, guided by the Holy Spirit to write God's very word, and it is written to the individual Christian. Now certainly when we think of individual Christians coming together as the church in a congregation, then we can say, well sure, it applies to the church as well. But the church is made up of Christians, individual Christians. And we are, as we come together as true Christians, we are the body of Christ. But this is written to the individual Christian specifically. And so Peter gives us well, just instruction after instruction, piece of teaching after piece of teaching that applies to our personal individual lives, helps us to be a better Christian, to know how to navigate through all that the devil might throw at us and all that life may throw at us. Well, we need this guidance, and God has given us this guidance through his word. And in this particular book, it is, boy, it's just so rich in its specific instruction and direction for us as individuals. Now, last time we looked at verses 13, 14, and 15 of 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to go back and read those three verses again because they set the stage for the next couple. And really, verses 16 and 17 are part of the immediate context in which we found verses 13, 14, and 15. So Peter wrote, beginning with verse 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Now, again, if we stay the course, if we live the righteous life, if we stay true to God, remain faithful and obedient, well, we may have some critics, we may have some persecutors, we may have some people who try to make fun of us, uh, tease us, challenge us, but Peter is asking a rhetorical question. Who can really hurt us in the long run, eternally speaking, if we simply stay the course, if we simply, in a determined, consistent way, follow God's teachings, follow God through his word? In verse 14, uh, verse 14 he goes on and says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Well, from a human point of view, we might wonder how in the world could we be blessed if we're suffering for righteousness sake or for our faith in God and in Christ. Well, if we're suffering for those reasons, we're suffering for the right reason. <laughs> if somebody is persecuting us because we're faithful Christians and we are determined to remain faithful, well, we're at least suffering for the right reason. In, in, in James chapter 1 and verse 2, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and patience, ha and, 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 but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What makes steel hard? You heat it up till it's white hot, and then plunge it into cold water. Again, I, I've done some of that, a little of that, when I was in high school working in, in a, a shop class. And just in my brain, it looks like if you're heating up a piece of steel till it's white hot, you ought to be weakening it 
but it's exactly the opposite. And what tests a chain? You test a chain by putting it, uh, by, by stretching it out, you know, with weight or with tension to see if it is really as strong as you want it to be. What makes a person who is trying to get into shape, tone up their muscles, what makes them stronger? It's working out with weights. It's testing their physical ability, their physical muscles, putting them to the test, challenging them. And as they, as they do that, and as I understand what happens when you're actually lifting weights or maybe you're running or you're working out te- uh, uh, certain muscles, muscle groups within your body, that that workout period or the lifting of those weights actually breaks down those muscles in a way. And then your body is designed by God so magnificently that your muscles start to heal or, or, you know, build back up. And in that process, they get stronger. Well, Peter is saying, and James is saying, that when you face the test of somebody challenging you in, for your, in your faith, and the devil throwing temptations at you, but you still hold on to God's hand, and you, with God's guidance and strength and blessing, you work through that temptation victorious. James says, and Peter says, you get stronger. You get stronger in your faith. You get stronger spiritually. Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Well, we need to know what we believe and we need to know why we believe it. In chapter 4 and verse 11, as we read last time, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, we need to be teaching God's very word. If we're going to teach something spiritually, we need to make sure we're teaching the correct thing. And that, in, in that, that re, uh, entails us having to go to God's word to know what it is that we're supposed to be teaching. Well, again, there's so many people who claim to be Christians. They claim to belong to a particular denomination, but they really don't know that much about what that denomination stands for. They don't really know that much about what they're supposed to believe and how they're supposed to live their lives as Christians. Well, Peter says here, if anyone asks you what you believe and why you believe it, you need to be able to answer them. Now, you may not be able to give book, chapter, and verse right at that particular specific moment, but you can say, look, uh, give me a little bit of time. I'll find the answer for you. Or maybe you can say, let's sit down and let's open up God's word and study it together on that particular question that you have just asked me. Now we move into verses 16 and 17. And again, these really are part of the immediate context of verses 13, 14, and 15. And so Peter goes on and he says, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Well, having a good conscience, how do we have a good conscience? We stay true to our conscience. 
there are many people who have abused their conscience to the point where it has become, as the Apostle Paul said, seared over as with a hot iron. Their conscience has become dull. They don't really have much of that internal compass to guide them into righteousness that God designed us to have through our conscience because they've abused it so much. They don't have that much more of a they don't have much more of a feeling for right and wrong or doing evil versus doing good because they have continually abused their conscience. They've gone against it. And so Peter says having a good conscience, having a good conscience how? Staying the course, verse 13 continuing to live that righteous life, that godly life, that faithful life according to God's teachings in his word. And even if we should suffer for righteousness sake, we can, we can take heart that we've suffered for a righteous cause. We didn't suffer for doing something wrong, breaking a law, getting put into jail, getting caught doing something we shouldn't be doing, but we suffered for a righteous cause for our faith in God, in Christ, our commitment and dedication to God. And so having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile you or those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. That's interesting. How could somebody who is reviling you or belittling you, demeaning you, criticizing you, trying to put you down, how could they end up being ashamed by your not going along, by your not responding? Well, let's look in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and let's read verse 18 there. And maybe we get a little better insight into what Peter is talking about here. He says, pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. You see, if we're living honorably, even in the face of somebody trying to dishonor us, then we can keep that good conscience. If somebody curses us out and we respond by cursing them out back, <laughs> well, we've done no better than they. We've sunk to their level. But if we simply stay true to our commitment to God to live that righteous life before him in dedication and service to him, in spite of what somebody else might say about us or say to us or do to us, well, we've, we've, we've maintained our good conscience. Now, again, there are a lot of people who have abused their conscience, and so they have done it so many times that their conscience really doesn't work very well anymore, if at all. But if we simply continue to stay the course, stay true to our commitment to God, stay faithful, then we will maintain our good conscience. You know, somebody somebody does evil to you in whatever way you can imagine, gossip about you, hurt you in some way, cheat you or whatever, but you refuse 
to respond in kind toward them, well, you've maintained your good conscience. Somebody may say they hate you, and they may show it in a number of different ways, but you keep in your heart, I don't hate you, I love you, in spite of you. Well, you've maintained your good conscience. You've stayed true to your faith in God and Christ, and you've stayed true to your Christianity, your Christian dedication. And when you continue to act right towards somebody who acts wrong toward you, well, you see more and more that ends up on their shoulders, and they end up often being ashamed of themselves. Being ashamed of themselves. Well, we need to learn that lesson. We really do. In in First John, in First John, well, I can't put my finger on it right offhand. So, but anyway, you know, you hopefully you get the lesson from that. And this is not the only time when we read about somebody treating us wrong or how about treating our Lord wrong? Treating our Lord wrong. And yet, what did he do in response? He died for them. He did not lash out. He did not call down the legions of angels that he said he could have called down. He went to the cross. He stayed true to his mission. And in that way, he set a great example for us. A great example for us that we should follow in his steps. Well, and then ultimately we find that when we do that, we find that we are happier with ourselves. Happier with ourselves. Hmm. If we go back to chapter 2 in 1 Peter, Peter, he, he addressed this subject again in a more specific way. We're going to just take, it, take a more general kind of application here. And he says in verse 20, For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults? You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Huh. He's saying, okay, if you're done wrong and you're being punished for it, maybe you get a ticket for speeding while you're driving. Or maybe somebody who robs somebody, they end up getting caught and put in jail. Well, Peter says, if you're, getting, if you're suffering for doing wrong, that you got that coming. But if you suffer for doing right and you take it patiently, you're showing Christian character before God and to that person who is doing wrong to you. And he used our Lord and Savior as an example in verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 2. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Well, so Peter comes back in, here in chapter 3, and he, he just hits that particular theme again. He says, for if, for if, uh, if you suffer for unrighteousness, okay, but you got that coming. But if you suffer for righteousness, if you're being persecuted or belittled or demeaned or challenged or teased, made fun of, criticized for righteousness sake, well, thank God that you're being criticized for righteousness sake. You're being an example to those. And ultimately, when you do not respond in an unrighteous way, those individuals can end up being ashamed of their own behavior. It is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Verse, 13, uh, verse 17, 1 Peter chapter 3. It's a hard lesson for us a lot of times to learn and implement effectively in our lives, but it is a lesson for our eternal well-being. Well, let's move on to verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Now, I want us to stop there because the rest of that particular chapter, verses 21 through 22, is really pertinent for our very clear understanding as to how we come to salvation in Christ. But now, come back to verses 18 and 19 again. And here is Peter once again. He's already done that as we read back in chapter 2. Here again, he's using our Lord as an example of our staying the course in righteousness, even in the face of our ha maybe having to suffer for that determination and commitment to stay righteous and live the righteous Christian life before God, even though we might be abused, even though we might be persecuted. Again, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust. The just for the unjust? Who did he die for? Did he die for just people? People who are just already before he went to the cross? Nobody was just before he went to the cross. Remember Romans 3 and verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No, we all needed Jesus to go to that cross to die for us, for our sins. He died the just for the unjust. Romans 5 and verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ suffered for once for sins, our sins, the just for the unjust, 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus died on that cross physically. There's no question about that. He died on that cross. He was buried in that tomb. Again, no question about that. But he arose victorious over death. Well, we must die to the lifestyle of sin that we live before we become Christians and come to Christ for forgiveness and salvation. The Apostle Paul talked about this in some detail in Romans chapter 6. He said in verse 3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were baptized into his death. We were also baptized into Christ. That's how we came into Christ, or how we can come into Christ. And therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Well, Jesus died on that cross so that we could have the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins and redeemed and saved in him and through him. He did that for us. He suffered the just, he was the just one, for the unjust. We were the unjust ones. He was put to death physically, but he arose victorious over death. When we become a Christian, we're baptized into Christ. The blood he shed on the cross cleanses us of our sins. And as we're going down into that water, we're dying to that old life of sin. And we are being reborn, cleansed of the guilt of our sin in that grave of baptism. And as we come up out of those waters of baptism, we are reborn spiritually. We're a new creation spiritually. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Oh, yes, what a great image that is. What a great lesson for us. But we're going to stop and park here. Now, we're going to pick up with verse 19 next time and cover a couple of points that Peter makes here and run through the end of the chapter, verse 22, a couple of separate points that he makes that are both important for us to understand. Read ahead and be ready for that study. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us so much. We thank you, Father. Thank you for sending your son to the cross to die on that cross so that we could have the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins and be reborn spiritually. Thank you for sending his righteous person physically as he lived in this world to that cross, to be the perfect sacrifice for the guilt of our sins, 
so that as he arose from the grave, victorious over death, we can rise from the grave of baptism, victorious over sin, and looking forward to eternal life with you in heaven. Praise be to you, Father. Thank you for loving us so much. Please be merciful with us, we pray. Please forgive us, gracious Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.